We are on part number four of a five-part series. If you have missed any of this, you can catch it on our videos on Facebook Live. Welcome to those of you who are watching right now on Facebook Live. But you can also catch it, the audio version, on SoundCloud. Just go to SoundCloud, search for Harley Petty, and you will find my playlist. I should have it in there. That's where you can catch up. So let's get started this morning. Have you ever, you know, you've been with the family, you're with them. It's a beautiful Saturday Perhaps it is a great day to go out and be with the family. And so we go to places we like to go. So like, like you're walking around this place and you're looking at all the wild animals, all the wild things, the exotic animals in their enclosures. And some of them are quite smelly animals and smelly enclosures. But you have this hope, maybe I will see it. Maybe I'll get a glimpse. And you think, I just maybe I might. And then... You finally do. You see emerging, you see the bear. And oh, this one. This one's the mama bear. The mama bear comes out. And the mama bear, man, she can be intimidating. She's large. She's frightening. She's scary, but exciting all at the same time. And you know, of course, I'm not talking about the zoo. I'm talking about Little League Baseball, right? The mama bear, when she comes out, oh my goodness, if someone mistreats her son or, or, or daddy bear comes out, if somebody is hateful towards his son. But I understand that. You see, if somebody mistreats my child, I have this bear that lives inside of me. And this bear, this bear is naughty and he's not nice, and he kind of stinks at times, and I have said things, and I have done things to what I thought was protect my child when maybe somebody was rude to them. And in that moment, if somebody hurts my child, I, I have a response. And I don't care who that person is. I don't care. I mean, they can be respected in our community. I don't care how much they know. I mean, they can be an expert in their career. And they may know more about all the important subjects in the world. They may be super duper smart and accomplished. But if that person says something or does something to hurt my child, if they verbally attack my child, if they injure my child, guess what? They injure me. They attack me. And my fuse with that person? Well, there's no fuse. I mean, daddy bear comes out. I actually have a picture of what it looks like. There it is. <laughs> that is me right there. That is me. Except I, I have a head and he's more muscly, I'm more fatty, but that's me. That's what happens. I, I have a feeling you understand that for your children or your grandchildren. I mean, just watch a nice, docile, easygoing, calm mother when her baby is accosted the bear. Just watch. That could be the most knowledgeable person, the most respected, intelligent, smart. But they say something about her baby. Boom. The bear. You hurt my child. 
you hurt me. Doesn't matter who. It could be an adult or it could even be another child. But the people who hurt our children, we don't like. In fact, we probably loathe them. But there's another type of person. Oh, this person. These people, they actually take up for our child. And we love them. I mean, they are quickly, instantly, among our favorite people in the world. I mean, if someone steps up for my child and I hear about it, I love that person. If I see them do it, I adore that person. If you take care of my child, you're taking care of me. If you take up for my child, you're taking up for me. In fact, it's quite possible that the best thing you can do for me is to do something for my child. Do you understand that? I think we relate to that. Let's hit pause on that. We'll come back to it. Let's move on. Part of this series, there are parts of this series that we have learned from one of our mentors, Andy Stanley. This is one of those parts. It is significant. This series, we have said that the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago signaled the end of what Andy calls the temple model. And then Jesus ended that, started something completely new. Now, we have grown up 2,000 years later after Jesus with some kind of blend of the Jesus movement or Christianity and a blend of the temple model, and they've been put together. And it has produced in our lives often much of the guilt that we feel. In fact, we often feel more guilty about certain things than we do about what Jesus actually said. That's the temple model. And so often... The temple model makes us feel more guilty than what even the Bible has to say. You see, the temple model is an ancient form of religion, and there, there are several, four parts to be specific, that always exist in this model of religion. Four things. The first thing is there is always a sacred place, some kind of place set aside. It's holy. It's a worship-type place. It is a sacred place place. Then secondly, there's always some kind of sacred text or oracles or some kind of uh, emblem, something. There's some kind of sacred text. And these sacred texts have to be interpreted by the third part of the temple model, and that is the high holy men, and it's almost always men. They interpret the sacred text. In other words, the average person cannot just interpret those for themselves. They have to be told this is what it means. This is the official stance on what this means. This is what you are to do. That comes from the high holy men. They interpret the sacred text from the sacred place, and they interpret those to what you could call the dedicated followers. And the dedicated followers, they do their best to listen to those things. And you say, well, that sounds a lot like the church I grew up in. And we would say, exactly. We have blended the temple model into this thing, this new thing Jesus started called the Jesus movement. 
That's what we have done. But when Jesus came along, he did away with the temple model. He started something new, the Jesus movement. And it went really well for about 300 years. After about 300 years, we began to pick up pieces of the temple model and tried to merge them, blend them, mash them together with the Jesus movement. And suddenly, now, today, the Jesus movement has become much, much less Jesus movement and much, much more consumed by the temple model. You see, in the Jesus movement, there are no more. Jesus did away with sacred places. No more. You don't have to go to a sacred temple, a sacred place. And Jesus said, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, yourself, you have become a sacred place that God's Spirit comes to dwell in and live in. You have become. Jesus changed that. He also said there are no more high, holy men. No longer do you need a a person, a man, to intercede for you between God and yourself. No more do you have to have someone interpret for you and go to God directly. Do they have to go to God on your behalf for you? You now can go to God directly because Jesus made that possible. You know, Jesus also, he completely changed our understanding of his sacred text. Jesus took all of the text, the Old Testament, and he summarized the whole thing, all 600 laws. He summarized with one thing. He said, you do this, you fulfill the whole law. He said, love God and love others. But somewhere along the way, the temple model got blended in and merged with the Jesus movement And the church began to stagnate and it got stalled and the church was redefined. And that has impacted us. For example, perhaps you feel more guilt over missing church than you do, than you do about gossiping about that lady and what she did this weekend. That's the temple model. Perhaps you were raised Baptist and you feel more guilt about having a glass of wine than you do about how you treated that slow cashier at Walmart. That is the temple model. Maybe you were raised Catholic and you have more guilt about missing confession or missing mass than you do about what you said to that driver that cut you off on Main Street. That's the temple model. And for all of us, there are large parts of the temple model that we've grown up with and we actually continue to live under that influence. You see, if somehow, if there's some kind of sacred place we can go to and we can listen about sacred text with other people, if somehow those activities can supersede how we treat other people, that is the temple model. It is not the Jesus movement. If you have thoughts like this, I I want to know where the line is. Where is the line of sin? 
because I don't want to cross that. I, I mean, I, I want to get up close to it, but I don't want to cross it and make God angry. That is temple model thinking. If you have hurt somebody and you think that, that there is something, anything that you can do to make yourself right with God so that things between you and God are right again, you're okay now with God, you're good with God now without having to go to that person and make restitution with that person that you hurt. If somehow you can cut that person out of the equation and just make things right between you and God. Because after all, if I just say, God, will you forgive me? He forgives me and God and, and myself, we're okay. That's temple model thinking. It's not the Jesus movement. If you know that God loves you, but your view of religion or spiritual things keeps you from loving another you, or somehow a you that is different than you, but something you believe keeps you from loving that person that's temple model thinking. The temple model says this, okay, what must I do? Because I want to know God. I want to keep you happy. I want to be okay with you. So the question is, who is at the center of that statement? And the answer to that is, me, I am. In fact, even our prayers with the temple model thinking, we are at the center. We're saying, God, will you do this for me? I need you to do this. I want this. I, I need this. I, I want, I need, it's me and it's I. That's temple model. It's not the Jesus movement. Temple thinking always leads us towards more rules and more rituals, things we have to do. And the reason is because I need to keep God happy. Now here's the good news. If you believe in the real gospel, you don't have to keep God happy. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God is good. God is just fine. God is happy. You don't have to keep trying to make God happy and to see where do I stand with God by doing good things. God, the good news is, God is fine. And you, if you've submitted your life to Him, you and God, you're fine. You're fine. So we can quit trying to see where do I stand with God. We can stop trying to keep God happy with us because that is temple thinking, and Jesus ended that. You see, temple thinking leads us to trying to do more and more things to make God happy with us. But it also leads us to look into God's Word for exceptions. We search the Scripture for loopholes. We say, how close can I get to sin without sinning? In other words, we're saying, how can I get what I want and I can still keep God happy with me at the same time. God, what must I do? God, what must I believe to keep you happy? And Jesus Christ invited you and me to leave all of that behind completely. Because the Jesus movement is not focused on you. 
It's focused on the you beside you. So, if you're a Republican, it's focused not on you, but on that Democrat who riles you up on Facebook. If you're a Democrat, it focuses on that Republican who makes you so angry at work. If you're a racist, it centers on the you that you, for some reason, have thought is less than you. And we are invited by Jesus himself to love others the way Jesus loved them. And he gave us a command, just one. He says, love others the way I've loved you. And he says things like this in the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament said the only thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. The New Testament writers in Jesus said the entire law, all 600 laws can be summarized by simply saying just love your neighbor as yourself. This is completely different than the temple model. Jesus ended the temple model and he started this. And Jesus does not want any part of the temple model to be blended with what he started. For example, if I ask you, do you know why it's wrong to not tell the truth? Do you know why you should always tell the truth? And we might say something like this. Well, um, goodness, um, it's, there's something in the Ten Commandments about that. So I know, I know God has said and given us a command that we are not supposed to bear false witness. We're, we're supposed to tell the truth. And I know also it, it says in the Bible somewhere that, that God hates it when we lie. And I would say to you, those statements are true, but that's not the answer to the question. The question we ask, why do we know? How do we know we should always tell the truth? See, the temple thinking says, well, the Bible tells me so. But the Jesus movement says this. I, I must tell the truth. Because if I lie to that person, I hurt that person. You hurt the person you lie to. And you can apply that standard to every action you have, every behavior, every attitude, every single word you say. That will apply. But temple thinking says this. The truth is because the text says to. The Jesus movement says this. You don't lie because it hurts somebody. God said don't lie. Yes, he said don't lie. But not because he hates lying. God hates lying because it hurts the person you lie to. So Jesus says, tell the truth because you love people. Another example. Do you know why we are not supposed to gossip? It's not because there's a thou shalt not. No, that's the temple model. 
You don't gossip as a follower of Jesus because it hurts other people. Do you know why you don't add 15 minutes to your timesheet at work when you didn't work that extra 15 minutes? It really doesn't have anything to do with stealing. No, it's because you hurt the person who has employed you. Do you know why you don't have sex with someone that you're not married to? Not because it's in the text. It is in the text, and we can find it in the text. But the reason we don't is because as a follower of Jesus, we know if we have sex with someone we're not married to, then we are harming their future and their future emotions and their memories. We're hurting that person. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Harley, but it was consensual. That's the temple model thinking. It would be as if God is saying, wait a minute, do I have to give you a verse for everything you do? Do I have to cut it down to every single behavior, action, word you say, everything? Do I have to give you a verse? Isn't it enough to say, love your neighbor as yourself? Isn't it enough to say you love God by loving the people around you? That applies to everything. Every word, every action, every behavior. But you see, people like to argue. They like to say, well, the Bible says this, or they say, but but the Bible really doesn't say anything about this, so that must be okay. And they spend decades, years, arguing over what the text says. But Jesus said this, the entire Old Testament, all of the Old Testament scripture can be met if you simply love God and love others. And then the New Testament writers backed that up and they said the New Testament is simply revealing how you can love God by loving others. You see, these things are not in the scripture for you, really. They're they're not in there really for God because God is fine. God is okay. Those things are in there to benefit the people that you and I have been called to love. That's why they're there. Now you might be saying, Harley, oh man, this, this all sounds like some kind of simplistic, hippie, Christian love fest. Thing going on here. I mean, are you saying that we should not take the details of God's scripture seriously? I don't like what I'm hearing, Harley. The Jesus model, the Jesus movement, it is far less complicated. Yes, I, I will give you that. The Jesus model, the Jesus movement is far less complicated because if Jesus can take all 600 laws and summarize them by one single statement, love God and love others, yes, it is less complicated. But it is far more demanding. 
at the center of the Jesus movement, at the center of this Christian faith, is Jesus. God. Who put on this flesh and died. He died. Covered in his own blood, barely recognizable as a human, and covered in the spit and the mucus of the people all around him who were hating him. That is the center of this whole thing. Jesus, who loved you and me and them and his enemies. You see, in the temple model, it is too easy to find a place to hide. We say things like, I don't think that's what the text really means. I think it means this. We tell them what we think because it goes along with what we want to do. We say things like, well, Jesus never really talked about that, so it must be okay. I can do that. Well, Paul said this, and John said this, James said this over here. They don't really seem to agree on everything, so I guess that just all doesn't count. We say things like, well, Harley, that's in the Old Testament, so we don't really have to listen to that. That's the old, and that's temple model religion. You see, in the temple model, we always find a rationalization to do what we want to do. We hide in the text. We hide there. But with the Jesus movement, it is hard to rationalize this phrase. Above all else, in faith and love. It is hard to find a loophole in they will know that you are my followers by the way you love each other. It's almost impossible to find a workaround for this. Love your enemies. There are so many hiding places in the temple model. But not in the Jesus movement. So while the Jesus movement, yes, it might be less complicated, it is much much more difficult than the temple model. Really, in, in most cases, we already know what to do when we ask the question, what does love require of me? We ask that in week number one. And in most cases, when we ask the question, in this moment, in this situation, what does love require me to do? We already most often know what we need to do. But in the temple model, we can hide we don't have to really answer that. We don't have to really do that. We can hide in the temple model. We know we should love them, but we don't have to because we're hiding. When your heavenly father asks that question for himself, what does love require me to do? It cost him his son. When his son, when Jesus asks that question of himself, what does love require me to do? It cost him his life. And when you ask that question, most often we know what to do. But will we hide in the temple? Or will we do what Jesus did and love that person? Can you imagine? 
what might happen in your marriage if you do that? What might happen in your family if your entire family would simply ask that question and do that? Democrats, what might happen if you set aside whatever is going on in whatever someone else has said or what they've done or what they've promised or what you don't like and just simply ask the question, what does love require me to do? Republicans, if you would simply not look at the news for your cue about what to do or what other people are saying or doing, no, what does love require me to do? If every single race and culture in these United States would simply not look at the color of a skin or an action or a behavior or a word or a wardrobe, we just simply ask, what does love require me to do? And do that. You know, in the first century, for Gentile, non-Jewish believers, they didn't even have a Bible in the first century. Because the Old Testament, that was for the Jews. The Gentiles yet did not have the letters circulating. Those early believers did not have a Bible. They didn't have the text. All they had were stories from other people of what Jesus said and what Jesus did. They heard stories of Jesus saying, love your neighbor. They heard stories of Jesus saying, love your enemies. They heard stories uh, of, of people following Jesus saying, above all, express your faith and love. They heard. They didn't have the text. They just did. I understand. Some of you could be thinking, Harley, it sounds to me, you're making me uncomfortable. It sounds like you're leaving God out of this. And, and, and you're focusing on all these people and it's becoming humanistic, all about people, just, just people. What about worshiping God? What about holding God high and praising Him and worshiping Him and putting Him in His proper place above all men? What about that? It sounds like you're leaving that behind. That is a great question. So I, I can't answer that for you, but Jesus did. So let's read what Jesus had to say. And I just hope that this impacts you the way it did me. And I hope it impacts you the way it must have impacted those first believers when they heard Jesus say these words. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus said this, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, and He sits upon His glorious throne, and make no mistake, my friends, Jesus is glorious. He goes on. All the nations, verse 32, all the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate. Oh, wait, something's going to happen here. 
there's going to be some kind of division. What is the division about? He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, if anything at all, but to these people in this time, in this culture, sheep and goats and being separate, this was a big deal. Said a lot to them. We have to keep moving. If you, you should read up on that. It's amazing. Verse 33. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. So something is different. They're separated. Verse 34, what's this all about? Then the king will say to those on his right, to these sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And I can only imagine they would be thinking, Jesus, why? Why are we separated? And for some reason, we are inheriting your kingdom kingdom why what what did we do to deserve such a thing and he answers this in verse 35 for i was hungry and you fed me i can only imagine them thinking i i never i never knew jesus was hungry i didn't hear his stomach growl he said i was thirsty oh i was a stranger And you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me into your home. I didn't know I invited him anywhere. I mean, I don't remember sending an invitation. Verse 36. I was naked. Oh my, he was nude. And you gave me clothing. I was sick. I didn't know Jesus could get sick. And you cared for me. I was in prison. Oh, he broke the law. And you visited me. Verse 37. And these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? I I mean, they're saying, I didn't see you. I don't remember you being in prison or sick. I didn't see that. What are you saying? I didn't see that, Jesus. And we can really say that because we have not seen Jesus. This is 2,000 years later. Jesus is not right here. And we can say, Jesus, I have not seen you. What are you saying to me? I haven't seen you. When did I see you? They go on. They say, when did I see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? But think for a moment. Maybe, okay, um... Okay, uh, Jesus, I know, maybe, maybe I did see you. There was that night, Jesus, at youth camp, and the speaker was amazing, and the music was so moving, I really felt God that night. Or maybe, maybe Jesus, it was that worship experience with the church. No, maybe, maybe I saw you, Jesus, when I saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, because it was so stirring and gripping and helped you, God. Your sacrifice portrayed. Maybe that's when I really saw you and felt you, God. Could have been that quiet time I had. I was reading scripture and I was praying and God, you just 
spoke so clearly to my heart. And now, it's as if Jesus is saying, oh, wait a minute, Harley, wait, wait, wait. Harley, who was all that for? Were those things for you or were they for me? I mean, Harley, that camp you went to, who got something out of that? Did you or was it me? And I would say, Jesus, I, I did. I got something out of that. Oh, okay, Harley, well, what about the church experience? Who was that for? I mean, who came away from that changed, you or me? Well, that, that was me too, Jesus. Oh, okay, Harley, the movie. Who benefited from that? Was that for you or for me? Um, that was me too. It's as if Jesus is saying, those are good. Those are good things. Harley, do, do those things. But what I'm talking about is not that. Because all of that, Harley, centers on you. Verse 40, Jesus continues. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers or sisters, you were doing it to me. You see? The Jesus movement, the Jesus model focuses on the you beside you. Your devotion to God is demonstrated and evidenced by your love for other people. It is not we do not demonstrate our love for God by how many verses we've memorized, how many Bible studies we have attended, how many times we go to church. We demonstrate, we evidence our love for God by how we love the people around us. And Jesus could also look at us and say this, did I mention that if you mistreat one of my kids, then all the worship songs, all the Bible studies or church attendance you can do will not make up for it. Did I mention the best way to honor me really has nothing to do with me at all. The most honoring thing you can do for me is to do something for one of my children. It's like Jesus saying, if you do something for one of them, you're doing something for me. What if it were really that simple? That we just ask, what does love require of me? And we do that. What if it was that simple that we say, God, to honor you, I will love that person. And the harder they are to love, the more honoring it is to our Father in heaven. This will change your life. This will change your family. This will change your work, your community, and your world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is so very difficult. What an astounding truth. 
that you, your words have told us that to demonstrate, to give evidence of our love for you, we love the people around us. And that if we love your children, we're loving you. If we help your children, we're bringing honor to you. God, help us. Help us do that. We need you. Jesus, we have blended the temple model so frequently into our serving you that we have hidden in your temple. We need your help to step out and to love you. So it is in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray and we ask these things. God, help us to love the people around us the way you love them. We need your help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.